This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Thank you, Rabbi. It's uh, an honor and a pleasure. Hashem, we started together a few years ago, and I had the schut to be in Panama last year for Shabbaton. A lot of you were there. Um, I enjoyed it very, very much. It's a, it's a very big schut. Come to learn Torah for a week. It's amazing. Maybe we should make a group of Americans come to Panama to learn for a week. That would be a good idea, no? It would be a good idea. You have to invite us. Okay, you have to build a building like this. So, today I'm going to speak about a relationship between us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the, the questions like this. This is the question. We're in the month of Elul. Right? Everyone knows, everybody knows. What does El- It's a month before the biggest court case of your life. You're going to find out in two weeks Guilty, not guilty. Life sentence or death sentence. If we were in a real... Then in two weeks, they're going to bring us into the courtroom and the jury person is going to get up and say... We, the jury, find so-and-so guilty or not guilty. There's no one in this room that would be eating lunch at 2 o'clock. You would not be able to eat lunch. You would not be sleeping. You would not be eating. A life sentence, it's worse than a life sentence. It's the electric chair. I don't know if they don't have that in Panama, but in America, right? The death penalty. Or you're going to walk out of the courtroom and the jury's going to say, we find so-and-so innocent. You can leave, live life, have ice cream, see your kids, see your grandchildren. That is what's happening in two weeks. Why is everyone in this room so calm? Calm, man. I'll finish speaking, you'll go out to lunch, you'll call your wives, maybe you'll call your wives, I hope you'll call your wives. <laughs> you'll definitely call your office to see what's going on. <laughs> Why aren't we nervous? Why aren't we, why are we eating? Why are we sleeping? It's very serious, there's a lot of people that last year were alive. Today they're not here. Last year in court, they said, death sentence. Some painless, some painful. We should live long, innocent. Chazal say that on Rosh Hashanah, they judge us. The Rishayim, when your averot are greater than your schuyot and the scale goes down, 
the signed Lamavest, Chath V'Shalom. The Tzadikim, they sign L'chaim. But Chazal say that most people are Benonim. It's equal. And Hashem waits until Yom Kippur to make his decision on what your year is going to be. Sometimes on Yom Kippur, after it's sealed, you still have time, Hashanah Rabbah, and even after that, you have a certain amount, no one should ever have a court case, but when you have a court case, you have a certain amount of time to appeal. After a certain amount of time, you cannot appeal the case. So Hashem gives us till the last day of Hanukkah, Zoyz Hanukkah, to appeal. Waiting for you to appeal. But as we know, 90% of appeals don't even reach the court. So once the judgment is made, to change it is much harder than to have the right judgment at first. So it says, now Sarah I made tshuva. You should do tshuva so that the scale by Yom Kippur is in your favor and it will be l'chaim and panasah and children and everything good. So the rabbis ask a big question. Why do you have to do tshuva the next morning after Rosh Hashanah? Do a mitzvah. If you do a mitzvah, you put on tefillin. Now, your scale is heavier on the side of tzchutim. So why do you have to do tshuva? Don't do tshuva. Just throw another mitzvah. Do another mitzvah. One more mitzvah. Do give it up the aim. Go, go bring your father something to eat. And then you have nothing to worry about. Why do you have to do tshuva? And the answer is, that's what you do, goes for the next year. So, if it was benonim, if it was equal, and then the day after Shoshana you do a mitzvah, it's not going to help what happened last year. But, if you do tshuva, me'ahava, from love, then the avera that you did last year becomes a mitzvah. So when it comes Yom Kippur, the scale no longer is equal. You can't do another mitzvah. Another mitzvah goes to the next year. You can't do another mitzvah. It doesn't help your judgment on Rosh Hashanah. Those numbers are locked in. 100 and 100. Finish. Locked in. You do 100. It's not 101. It's one towards the next. But if you do tshuva and aveira, me'ahava, from love, then that becomes a mitzvah. So it goes backwards. And Yom Kippur, when they look at your numbers... It's 101 to 99. So that's why it's called Aserasi Me Tshuva. Ten days to do Tshuva. <coughs> the question is like this. If you're going to name a month, Elul, to prepare for the greatest court case of our life every single year. Anila Dodi sounds very romantic. Sounds like Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. I am to my loved one, and my loved one is to me. What does that have to do with Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, scales, kapara? I'm to my loved one. It's something would be, I don't know, it's a, it's, a nice, it's a nice saying. Maybe Purim, I don't know, maybe Hanukkah, presents. What does I love you and you love me have to do with Rosh Hashanah? And not only that, the first step, the first move has to be ours. Ani lidodi. 
I am to my loved one, and therefore God is to me. Not God is to me, therefore I am to him, but the other way around. So we're going to answer, these, we're going to answer this question on Elul from the 10th parak in Hilchus Tshuva by the Rambam. There are actually laws in Tshuva. And the Rambam says something I'm going to tell you guys today because I love to shock you. I don't like to tell you things that you know already. You don't need me to tell you that. I like to tell you things that you don't know. And I'm going to take your heads and I'm going to twist them totally around. Different than you ever learned in your life. We learn when we grow up, I don't know in Panama, but in America, we grow up, we learn that you do mitzvahs, and if you do mitzvahs, right, you get rewards. Right? That's what we do. We do mitzvahs like Hashem, I'll do, give tzedakah, but you got to make my business, you know, better. I'll do this so this person gets healed. It, it's sort of like prizes, like in school. I'll be a good boy, you have to give me a gold star. So we do mitzvahs, and Hashem says, I'll give you Gan Eden, I'll give you Olam Haba, right? All the mitzvahs I do, I'm going to get rewarded. And we think, if we do a Beirot, oh, in the next world, he's going to put me on the barbecue, he's going to put me in a fire, and he's going to burn me, and then they're going to turn me over and say, he's not ready yet, put him back in. <laughs> we grow up, Gehanim, Gehanim, ay, 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 and if you're bad, you get cancer, and if you're even worse, something happened to your children, and if you steal, he's going to take away your money, and whatever, oh, Hashem, we have this picture of Hashem, that he sits up in Shemayim, and he's a teacher, you're a good boy, here's a toy, you're a bad boy, whack. This is the picture that we're given of who God is. He's a punishing God, and he's a rewarding God. And you better be a good boy. And especially now, four weeks before Judgment Day, maybe Hashem is only going to remember that, yeah, you put away, you stopped looking at the things you weren't supposed to for a month, like Hashem doesn't know what you did the rest of the year. But you're going to be a good boy. So get a prize. It's going to come to Rosh Hashanah. Hashem's going to That's our picture of who God is. So wrong, so Christian, so Catholic, so not our religion. Hell, heaven, hell, heaven. They throw you into hell, then they throw you into heaven. In the cold water or the hot water, it sounds like cashering for Pesach. First you put them in the hot water, then you put them in the cold water. Then you dry them off. You can go to Gan Eden. Chas v'shalom. Says HaKadosh Baruch Hu to all of us, you know how you get prepared for the day of judgment, this is not about prizes and punishment. Do you know how you prepare that on Rosh Hashanah when you stand in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that you're going to be signed in the book of good and life? By having a relationship with me. Elul's not about fire and pain and death and, 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 and sickness and reward. Elul's about a relationship. It's about you showing your love, you taking the first step. Hashem says, just step towards me, and I'll do the rest. So therefore, the words of Elul have nothing to do with tshuva. It doesn't say, I need a tshuva, tshuva li, or I'm scared of you. It's about a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. 
We are so messed up in having a relationship with God. When the last time that anyone in this room sat at the edge of his bed at night and just looked up and said, I love you, Hashem. If I could, I'd give you the biggest hug. You're the most amazing creator in the world. I don't have arms big enough to hug you. Yeah, you say, Yeah, you daven, and don't get me wrong, davening is important. Abraham Yitzhak and Yaakov wrote Tzvila, and Tzvila has certain important kedusha in it. But our Tzvila is not an emotional relationship. We go in there, fill it on, fill it off. God forbid the Chazan would daven slow. Kill him. You're already, you're already out of shul before you even walk into it. A Chatan walks into the room. You're like, wow! No Tachanon! This is amazing! This is fantastic! It's like, it's like getting out of school. We don't have, we don't have, we don't have a relationship with God. We're just a bunch of guys that do what we're supposed to, so we don't want to get potched. And we want presents and toys and things that we need. We want our business to go good and our kids to get married. It's not a relationship. It's a piece of paper with a bunch of stuff that I want, my shopping list. We give God a shopping list. Here, Rosh Hashanah. Take care of everything. Don't forget anything like your wife. You know, God forbid you come back and you forgot one thing. You go back to the store. So we go to Hashem like, here's my whole list and you better give me everything. And that's what I'm here to, take, to tell you today. It's very good that you came to learn. Don't get me wrong. It's, I'll, I'll tell you what love means. I had a Rosh Yeshiva. His name was Rosh Shmuel Birnbaum. It was Rosh Yeshiva, Mir Yeshiva. He was probably the biggest masmid of our whole generation. He, he just sat and learned the whole day. This is a true story that I heard from the person that it happened to. So there was a, a, a man in Mir Yeshiva, I, I went to Mir, who... His wife took care of everything, the kids, everything. She wanted a husband that learned a whole day and a whole night. It was her greatest pride and love that he would come home and she, he would, she would even ask him what he learned. That a fantastic relationship. And she got cancer. And the cancer went out of control. And she was in stage four cancer and they told her she has a couple of months to live. And this Kailo younger man went to the Rosh Hashiva to Shmuel, Shmuel Bermam and said to him, Rosh Hashiva, my whole life I gave to Taira. He's learning in, the, in Mir for 40 years. Can the Rosh Hashiva do a moit face? Can the Rosh Hashiva do a miracle? You have to save my wife. Without her, I have nothing. Rosh Hashiva said, I'm not a Baba. I'm not a Makobal. I'm not a Rebbe. I'm a Rosh Hashiva. What could I do? He said, Rosh Hashiva, I'm just asking you to try to do whatever you can. Okay? The following week after he went to the Rosh Hashiva, he got a call from the hospital that in Belgium, they're doing some kind of new radical chemo test. And they have, they're picking 20 people who are already stage 4 
pretty much there's no healing whatsoever for them. And they would like to know if she, being that she was in stage four, if she would go for this test. So she said, of course. And she went to Belgium and they gave 10 of them medicine and they gave 10 of them placebos, which means it wasn't real. And her cancer started to regress and started to go getting better and getting better and getting better. And it took about three, four months and she was at stage one. So this young, young, uh, not so young man went to the Rosh Hashiva and he said, Shmuel, my wife, Baruch Hashem, just went to the hospital, did a PET scan, and pretty much it's gone. So I see, I see you are a Rebbe. I see the Rosh Hashiva is a Makobol. The Rosh Hashiva said, no, I'm not a Rebbe, I'm not a Makobol, and I don't do miracles. He said, but tell me, what did you do? She, she was like, he was not, wasn't a big shot. Nah, it's not important. But I didn't do it. Test, you know, Belgium, this, that. No, no. He said, no, Rebbe. Right after I told you this happened, what did you do? So this is what the Rosh Hashiva told him. He said, I don't want you to talk about it, but I'll tell you what I did. He said, every day, he was a masman. He'll learn tomorrow every single day. He said, the day that you asked me, the following day, I was learning a machlekes between Abai and Rav in the Gemara. He said, Abaya and Rava, I talk to you almost every single day. We talk, we discuss, we argue, we communicate. In all the years that I'm talking to you, I never asked you for anything. I'm asking you for my Talmud, for his wife, to go in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This boy has learnt 40 years, he put in, go to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that there should be a miracle that she should have a refuah. He said, I guess Abai and Rava went to Akash Baruch How many of us talk to Abai and Rava? And how many of us learn? It's a subject. I read it. We talk about it. Abai and Rava, I don't know who they are. I, they died a long time ago. No, said the Rosh Hashiva. They didn't die. They're alive in the Gemara. When, when you learn Chumash and, you, and you're learning about Moshe Rabbeinu, you're talking to him. Not some person who lived thousands of years ago. Tyra is life. It's a love. Rosh Hashiva didn't learn because he had to. He loved to talk to Abai and Rabbi. He loved to learn HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Tyra. It came from a very different place. Not I do the daf. What does that mean? You do the daf. <laughs> So you came for an hour and you went through three straws and two coffees and a, and, and, and a, and a, and a what's it called, a chocolate thing and, a, and God forbid he talks an extra five minutes. He's like, you watch, it's nine o'clock, Rebbe. We're in the middle of the daf. Who cares? We'll, we'll continue there tomorrow. Who asks questions? I go to a daf, nobody asks questions. You sit there, you come home. So where were you? I did the daf. <laughs> That's something you do out of love? Yeah, I did my biology homework also. <laughs> And I also did my math homework. I also took the, I took the garbage out. What, what does I do the daf mean? So what happened to us, I'm, not to, I'm talking to myself, you guys are just listening. What happened to me, okay, what happened to me is this whole learning, filling, davening, Shabbos. I don't do it because I love God. I do it because... That's what I was taught to do. And I want my daughter to have a good shidduch. And I want goodies. And if I don't do it, he's going to hurt me. He's going to punish me or my kids. 
That's not the relationship in Elul. That's not, I need it's not Rabbi Walsley telling you this. I'm going to read to you Perek, the 10th Perek, in the Rambam, in Hilchus Tshuva. He wrote the Halachas of Tshuva, and the last Perek, he goes off on a tangent, which no one understands why he goes there, but now we'll understand why he goes there. Speech Rabbi Walsley, about loving Hashem. Oh my God, the whole world just fell. <laughs> it is, it's the whole world this is like, people's whole world I had a girl in my school, I told you a few years ago she came running out of the bathroom, she's like oh my god, really well, Steve, it's over I figure, who knows what happened in that bathroom right so what happened, my phone, it fell in the toilet and, and I don't I don't know, I don't know anybody anymore, I lost all my contacts <laughs> who's my mother I don't know. <laughs> Garbage. This is a man-made world. We'll talk about this soon. This is a man-made world. This is a man-made world. Don't waste your time with it, guys. Because you know what's going to happen on Rosh Hashanah? To every single one of us that didn't happen when I was growing up, the Satan's going to come out and put on the wall exactly how many minutes you spent this year on technology on your phone and he's going to say God why so they're going to put up how many minutes you spent in Hashem's world and how many minutes you spent in God's world and how many minutes you spent in man's world and let me tell you if God's world you didn't spend more time in his world about looking at the things that he created in the six days of the world and learning Torah but that side is more you're in trouble because God doesn't need to bring you back next year so you should be another 10,000 minutes on a phone. That's not why he's going to give you life. And I didn't have to go through that. I didn't have that growing up. We didn't have that Yetzirah pointing to a wall and saying, look how much time, look how many seconds, look how many minutes he wasted in that technology world that does nothing for anyone but cause trouble. Yes, you need it for business. Hashem has no problem with what you do for business. But all the other apps, all the other garbage that we waste our time, how you, how you, how's your, your malach going to answer? Hashem said, I created a world. I created water. I created sunrise. I created animals. I created colors. I created all this. You don't even look at it? Girl told me, she sees sunrise every morning. I'm like, I don't believe you. She goes, no, it's on my screensaver. <laughs> I'm like, that's not sunrise. So you, you want your malach to say, why, why should he be in the world? He's already in the technology world, so he's there forever. He already has got oilam haba. Because once you send a text, it's there forever. So that's it, you could die and have a good day. Your text is there forever. You'll come to the next world knowing all my texts are there forever. If the FBI wants to dig them up and pull them off, they'll find a service somewhere. Really good about yourself. Well, that's, that's forever. That's real. You know the difference between a human being and an animal? An animal is a chai, we're a medaber. There's a crazy uncle that says when Hashem, Bayapach, he blew, he blew the, the, the air, the ruach into us, says uncle, what's that ruach? Animals were living before us. So what did he blow into our nose? What did he blow into us? Says the uncle, Dibor. He gave us the power to speak. We do not speak anymore. We speak with our fingers. Hashem did not create fingers to speak. 
He created our mouth to speak. We stopped speaking. We are animals. We don't talk as human beings anymore. He sold it as technology. Again, I'm not telling you that you can't use it for business. I'm talking about all the other time. Time magazine said that 50 times a day, a person with a smartphone looks at his phone when it's not ringing. Just to look at it. Maybe a message. Maybe something's going to happen. I'm looking at it. It's blank. But maybe in two seconds it's going to go buzz. Oh, good. I'm alive. I'm alive. Somebody, somebody called me. Time magazine wrote it. I didn't write it. Somebody called Baruch Hashem. I'm alive. What's the last thing you do before you go to sleep? Look at your phone. What's the first thing you do when you get up? You look at your phone. Used to be you look at your wife. Now you look at your phone. And I don't even want to say what I'm thinking. It's very, very funny, but it's very, very sad because the whole relationship is based on, the relationship is based on Dibor. So we're going to have to give a din v'cheshbin. We're going to have to give Hashem a din v'cheshbin for all the time that we wasted. We're asking for time. So what is actually going to be judged on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, guys? What's going to be judged? What are you asking for? What are you asking for? You're asking for money? You're asking for kids? You're asking for a shidduch? Guess what? All that stuff can't happen if you don't have time. So all that stuff is details. What's going to happen in the year that you need panas or whatever you need, shalom bayit, whatever it is, those are details. But what's the main thing? Time. You don't have time? No details. Dead people don't have money. Dead people don't have relationships. They're in the next world. So all the stuff that you're going to ask for is Shana, Chaim Shal Toiva, Chaim Shal Bracha, Chaim Shal Panasa, all the things you're going to ask for without time, nil. So each one of our souls is going to stand in front of God and say, I, first before I ask for anything, I need a year of time. So the first thing they're going to look at because you're asking for time, you want a year of time, let's look how last year you used your time. Did you use it correctly, or did you abuse it? How dare you ask for time? What are you, you're going to use it on a phone? So what, you think we're Verizon? You need more minutes? <laughs> Hashem's like, you're coming to me on Rosh Hashanah for a new plan? That's what you want? You want more minutes? Go to Verizon for that, not to me. And you're thinking, oh, well, Wallstein doesn't do nothing. He goes around, he talks a little bit. He doesn't need a phone. This is my phone. You guys have smartphones. I have a very learning disabled phone. <laughs> there is nothing smart about this phone. Zero. It is a stupid phone. Smart people have stupid phones. Stupid people have smartphones. Just the way, just the way God created us. Okay? So now... I have this little teeny phone. Now, Rabbi Wallstein, Baruch Hashem, the guys who know me know that I have a business. I tried to do some business in Panama. It didn't work. But I have a business manufacturing plastic bags for the last 38 years. Baruch Hashem. I have a very good business. I don't, I don't do what I do for money. All, my, all the things I do for, for Kleistrel, Baruch Hashem, I don't need any money. God gave me that present. Uh, I, know I don't belong to anybody. I've got no boards. i got no one who's going to tell me they're going to fire me. I had 35 years of teaching in a class, and the principal knew that I could fire him. <laughs> because I was paying tuition for a lot of kids in the school. I'm like, you better treat me right, otherwise you're going to be a new principal. <laughs> so I had that independence. So, Baruch Hashem, I have a business, a full-fledged business. I have children, Baruch Hashem, I have grandchildren. I have a school. 
that's a high school called BCA, Bernos High Academy for Girls Who Went Through Abuse, who needs so much time and therapy. Baruch Hashem, I'm the only school in the world that's a school like this. I have three seminaries. One for the BCA girl with a college, one for the regular girl, and one for the Beis Yaakov girl. And now, because I had nothing else to do with my life, <laughs> I opened a dream. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about this dream, even though I'm going off. I said before I walked in, it should come out of my mouth what you need to hear, not what I need to say. Sometimes it's not the same thing. I just want to tell you, when you love Hashem, when you have this relationship, it's the best. So, there is no place in the world for a Jewish girl to go to rehab. There's no Jewish rehab for Jewish girls. If a girl is doing drugs, or she's cutting, or try to commit suicide, or has anxiety, or eating disorders, we have to send our daughters to the Mormons in Utah. The Mormons are the greatest missionary... The Jewish community, with all our money and our buildings and our bricks and all the stuff that we have, for the girl who went through abuse or needs a place to go, we, me included, send them to the Mormons or to the Christians. It hurt me, it killed me, because the Hasidic girls that I was sending to New Haven in Utah, and I would visit them a lot, and I would watch them eat for breakfast. Chazer. Pork and eggs. Hasidic girl. But this is where she was. And the girls who were anorexic, who didn't eat, they were feeding them treif. And I'm thinking to myself, we know that if you eat treif, it affects your neshama. How is this person going to get healthy? And before you go to sleep, say a prayer to Jesus, or you won't be healthy. Our Jewish girls, 25 out of the 99 beds in Utah, are Jewish kids. And the Jewish world did nothing. And to this day, there's no Jewish rehab for girls. There's one in, for boys, Chabad in L.A. There's one in Florida, 12 Steps, Jewish 12 Steps. But for a girl, and all the Rabbanim, and all the Rebbes, and all the Mukubalim, and all the Tzaddikim that I went to said, your job is to keep them alive. Right? When somebody's danger to die, you're allowed to give them non-kosher. Your job is to keep them alive. But it burnt me and it hurt me. And I said to Hashem, I need to open up a Jewish rehab for girls. They don't have to be religious, but the food from the kitchen is going to be kosher. And you don't have to talk to Jesus before you go to sleep. And for five years, Rabbi Wallerstein searched and looked and traveled to find a rehab to open. And everyone was telling to me, isn't your plate full? When you're doing... you have." And my father, Allah Shalom, always used to tell me, when your plate's full, what do you do? Get a bigger plate. That's where we came from. Just get a bigger plate and do more. So for five years, I'm looking for a place. Specifically when it comes to girls. For them, it's horses. It's called equine therapy. A girl that will not talk, will not make eye contact. You put them with a horse, they take care of it. They ride it, they become one with it. They trust it. 
then they're able to, once they trust an animal, to come back to trusting a human being because the human being is the one that hurt them. It's a whole psychology, it's amazing, and it's now used for autistic and Down syndrome and actually for soldiers who came back from war. And it's all over the place. But I found that in all the rehabs I went, they had two horses. Their main thing was therapy, talking all day about your pain and what you went through and re-traumatizing. And they had the horses there so they could say they had horses. I said, no, I want to have a horse ranch and then therapy, not therapy and then a horse ranch. And I found many places that had beautiful houses but didn't have what I needed for the horses. And then I found places that had a place for the horses but didn't have a place for the girls. This past Jim Kipper, I have a relationship. I talk to him. He's my God. He's my best friend. He created me. I love him. We're one. I mess up many times and I, I apologize, but I love him. He's amazing. I woke up this morning. I can see. I thank Hashem every morning. I stand by the mezuzah and before I walk out of my house, I do the check. I'm like, I can feel the mezuzah. My eyes are closed. Thank you, Hashem, that I can feel. I can feel that it's cold. I can feel that it's, so, that it's metal. I can feel fingers, fingers are computers. You close your eyes. They tell you if it's hot or cold. They tell you the shape. They tell you the softness and the hardness. Fingers are amazing. God forbid if someone has a stroke and they have no feelings. It's the most terrible thing in the world. Thank you, Hashem, I can feel. Thank you, Hashem, I can smell. And sometimes, it's Monday today, who comes every Monday morning in front of my house in Flatbush? The garbage truck. And I'm standing there, thank you, I could smell. I'm like, yes, thank you, Hashem, that I could smell the garbage. Because if I could smell it, I won't step in it. So even the stuff that doesn't smell good, thank you very much. Did you ever have a very bad cold when you can't smell? When you can't smell, you can't taste. A person has a stuffed nose and can't smell anything, tries to eat an apple, he doesn't taste it. Our senses are all... One. Thank you, Hashem, I could smell. Thank you, Hashem, I could feel. And there are birds and noises. Thank you, Hashem, I could hear. I'm not living in a world of no sound. Thank you, Hashem, I could see. I changed my tefillah this year. Thank you, I could, I could see out of both eyes. I met this guy in Sherman Shabbos. I was davening. And he came over to me and he said, Rewafi, I listen to all your shir. You're amazing. I'm like, he says, you know, you always thank Hashem. You know me, I only have one eye. So what? I looked at his eye, he had a glass eye. He says, I don't have peripheral vision. Cover one of your eyes. You don't see any people on this side of the room. You lose your peripheral vision. You can't see anything on the side. I said, wow. So from now on, every day I say, thank you, Hashem, that I can see from both my eyes. I could smell, and thank you so much for that coffee. Thank you that I could taste, because if I couldn't taste, then I'm a nachash. Then everything tastes like dust. Thank you, I can look at an apple, look at the color, smell the apple, eat the apple, taste the apple. I never walk out of my house before I do that. God, you're my man. You gave me everything. I love you. And that's the relationship that a person has to have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's loving HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I went... So I get a phone call, and I stood by the Kaisal, last Yom Kippur. I'm there every Yom Kippur, Baruch Hashem, B'liyan Hara. And I said, you know, I talked to him. He's my father. He's my friend. He's my, he's my chassan. I said, Hashem, I got I to ask you something. 
What's the deal? You're making me crazy. I'm traveling all across America. I'm driving and I'm driving, and every time I get excited that I'm going to a horse farm, I find out it's a breeding farm. So a breeding farm doesn't have an indoor arena. If you don't have an indoor arena, you can't ride inside. So if it's not, you need an indoor arena. So every time I, I just... And then we finally found a place in Minasink, and the Goyim hate Jews, and we try to open up, and they stopped us in every which way. So I finally found a place. So I said, they're not my daughters, they're my sisters. But they're not my daughters, they're my sisters. They're your daughters. If you don't care about them, I'm going to stop caring about them, Hashem. I mean, what's the deal? Five years, and they're sitting in Utah. And in, in, in the ranch in, in Oklahoma, with a bunch of guys that are doing all kinds of things to them, with Goyim, with atheists. You know how many of these kids come back? They go in as sick Jews, and they come out as healthy Don't, are not happy with their life and then they go to rehab and they meet all these therapists who healed them and they're like they're happy with their life what you taught us all the time that non-Jewish people can't be happy is a lie so maybe everything else is a lie so let these kids come out as atheists lesbians we send them in but the halacha is that's not your problem you gotta, you gotta save them so I'm like Hashem you gotta help me out here two months after Yom Kippur I get a phone call Rabbi we know you're looking because I had every real estate guy everywhere. I think I might have found what you're looking for. I'm like, where is it? He says, in upstate New York. Good. I said, what's the name of the town? He says, Bethel. He said, what's the name? Bethel. I'm like, we got it. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, my friends are like, sugar, you always are thinking like that. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Yaakov had a dream. And there was a ladder going up and down. And he said, This is a crazy place. I didn't know that God dwelt here. But Yikrashem HaMakim, base tale. And Yaakov called that place Bethel. I thought things like that and it didn't work out. <laughs> like, you know, you missed the plane and you're like, Sure, you know why I missed the plane? It's going to crash. <laughs> you think about that all the time. You don't care about the 300 people that are going to die. But you can go around saying, Hashem saved my life, right? I missed the plane. And then you actually check. Did it land? It landed. No, tur- no everyone did well. How come I missed the plane? I don't understand. We all do that. You would have been happy if 300 people would have died so you could say, see, Hashem saved me. <laughs> So I drive up. I drive up to Bethel. And I drive into this place, 20 acres. And they have this indoor riding arena with 13 stalls. And I knew how much it cost to build this because in Minasink we didn't have it and we wanted to build it. So we took prices. The cheapest was 1.8 million to build this. Indoor, indoor arena is a block long. Forget it, it's, it's gorgeous. And I walk into this place, it's got the indoor arena, it's got the stalls. It looks like nobody ever used it. Brand new. Weird that nobody would use it. Okay, I asked the real estate agent, how much they want for the whole estate, the whole property? He goes, real estate agent, you know, let me show you everything, and then we'll talk about the price. I'm not, no, let's talk about the price because I don't want you to tease me. He goes, we'll talk about the price. Fine. 
I can't even explain to you what this place looks like unless you were there. You can't, you can't even understand this. Okay. He takes me up to the house. He tells me this house cost six and a half million dollars to build. And the man that built it, it took him five years to build it. I have been in very expensive houses in my life. I have never in my life seen a house like this. It was built brick by brick, piece by piece. And I'm walking through this house. The, the, the bedrooms, the bathroom, the house is that. And it's so weird. The toilets have plastic on them. The kitchen, which is a three, dollars $400,000 kitchen, the grates from the oven are still in the box. And I'm walking through this $6 million house, and then he takes me to an indoor movie theater. Soundproof room, with these seats that go all the way back, with a huge screen, and an aquarium the size of that wall, and I'm walking through this place, and then another room, a play, and I'm like, $6 million. It's magnificent. And then I see something very weird. Six million dollar house without a window that opens. Every window is double, double window, but it has no opening. There's like view, beautiful view and stained glass, but no windows that open. Why would you build a house for six million dollars and not have a window that opens? But in a rehab, the windows are not allowed to open. And I'm thinking in my head, this Meshuggah, whoever built this house, he built it for me. <laughs> and we go through this house, and I'm like, how much? How much? We'll talk about it. Let's go to the other house. It takes me to another house. That was the house that the man who built this whole thing was living in when he built the $6 million house. And we come to this house, and on the front door, it's a mezuzah painted with a horse a mezuzah in Bethel there's no Jews living in Bethel I'm like why does this I asked the real estate why did he have this thing on the door oh that that was his wife's she's Jewish okay I'm thinking ready Bethel Hashem put a mezuzah there to tell me well see you have to buy this Right? I'm thinking for sure, all the simanim, windows that don't open, I had all my simanim lined up except one. Six million dollars. <laughs> that siman I didn't get. So we finished the whole thing, it's a true story. We finished the whole thing. I said to him, can you explain to me why the ranch itself, the, all these buildings, nobody ever used? He says, Rabbi, this man's dream he had an Arabian racehorse. And he wanted to breed the horses up there. So this was where he was going to retire. And he took all his money and he put it into this house. He has a pond there for $150,000 with pumps, water, Chinese gardens. I mean, I wouldn't... Gazebo, a, a meditation gazebo. I wouldn't have even dreamt if I was building my own place. He didn't miss a thing. We sit down in the kitchen. He says, he built this and the day he finished, he had a massive heart attack and died. He never, ever lived in the house, and he never, ever had a horse. The greatest curse is you will build and others will move in. 
you will plant and others will harvest. The greatest bracha is they will build and you will move in. They will plant and you will harvest. But now comes the hard part. How do I get the money? I thought I was going to fly to Panama at that point, but whatever. <laughs> Little plug. How do I get the money to pay for this? So I said, okay, I saw the whole place. How much? In my head, it's two million for that. He's not going to get the six million that he built, but he's definitely going to ask for three. It's probably five million plus the plus the twenty acres. I don't know. It's going to be five six million dollars. Says Rabbi, he didn't get along with his family at all. He lived up here by himself. They lived wherever they are. They were all intelligent people. They felt he was wasting his time with his horses and his stupidities, and he was wasting their money. He wasn't talking. They weren't talking to each other. So the family said, "Just get us out of the mortgage." And out of the taxes, whoever wants to buy it, it's theirs. I'm like, okay. How much? They want 1.2. I said they want 1.2 for this house. He goes, no, they want 1.2 for the whole thing. I'm a Jew. <laughs> so. was not going to show my hand and I said well I don't know about horses Jews and horses it's not something that you know goes together maybe we're going to have to take that whole building turn it into a gym it's just going to cost me even more money I'll tell you what I'll give you eight now how do you ask me three and a half four million dollars on the spot I would have bought it I would have gone to raise the money there was nothing to talk about I saw a lot of stuff I'll give you eight he comes back and he says the family decided nine sixty it's a, if anyone, any of you saw it, my friends who I showed it to, they're like, I'll give you three million more than you paid. <laughs> I said, I didn't buy it for you. And I learned an important lesson, the reason I'm telling you this story. I learned the most important lesson of my life. I'm standing by the coast cell, pointing fingers at Hashem. What is wrong with you, God? These are your daughters. Why aren't you helping me? And Hashem is looking down and saying, Wallerstein, you want to build something for five years? You want to raise seven million dollars? I'll have someone else do it for you. You won't have to build anything. You won't have to raise five million dollars. I will have this person build it for you, exactly what you need, and then I'll take him back to Shemayim. We think in our relationship, when God doesn't answer us, He's ignoring us. I was crying and screaming and angry, and He was building. Probably the most important lesson I ever learned in my life. And every time I come to that ranch, I'm like, wow, I was standing yelling at you and not understanding why you don't care for your kids, and you built this for me while I was sleeping. And you don't have to have a ranch to have that, it's everything in life. We ask for so much, and when we don't get it, we're thinking he's ignoring us. He's not ignoring you. He's doing what he's got to do for you. Sometimes the answer no is the answer yes. He would have taken me a lot more money and a lot more time, and I wouldn't be able to stand here today if I was busy right now building an estate for girls. So, Mirza Hashem, we will be open probably right after Sukkot, the first Jewish rehab for our daughters and our sisters and our girls and
that's what Elo is all about. Elo is about God saying, just take the step. You just put up your sail. I'll take care of the wind. If you don't put up your sail, if you don't put up your sail, you know what the wind does? It bothers you. It's windy. Your yarmulke's flying. Your shirt's flying. Everything's flying. You're on a boat. But you put the same wind. The same wind. You put up your sail. And the wind gives you the, the ability to continue and to move. Hashem says, send me your stuff. And I'll take care of it. But if you don't put up your... If you think it's you... And it's your business, and you're so smart, and you're such a good businessman. And you think it's Kaikum Waitim Yadi, then you don't put up that sail. Then when God blows his wind, instead of helping you move, it bothers you. That is this month of El. I want to end reading you from inside one little quote from the Rambam. The Rambam says the following. How do you serve Hashem? And it's very... He never talks like this, ever. And he says the following. What is the proper degree of love? Well, else you got up and you said we should love Him. What does that mean? I love potato chips. I should like Hashem like I like potato chips? I love chocolate. It should be like I, lo- I should love Hashem like I love my kids? I should love Hashem like I, like my- I love my wife? What love do you want from me, God? Says the Rambam the following. No, you're dick. She has Hashem Avagadoyle, you should love Hashem with great love. Until you become obsessed. Obsessed, and I'll explain to you in English what that means. Obsessed with God. What does that mean, says the Rambam? What does it mean to be obsessed? You should love him, you should be so obsessed till you are sick. So Shlomo Amelech, tell all the tell Klai Yisrael when I'm lost, Shachilas Ava Ani. What does that mean? Says the Rambam. Sheindatoi Pnuya Meavas Oisha Isha. So the Rambam is like a guy who falls in love with a woman. When a guy falls in love with a woman, you know he's in love because he doesn't eat. He starts to lose weight. He's got these big butterflies, sometimes pigeons, in his belly. Because he doesn't know when he when he gets down on one knee and says, "Will you marry me?" She might not say yes. You're in love. You're you're obsessed with this person. If he says, like a man who's obsessed with a woman, and he's always thinking about her, whether he's sitting, whether he's getting up, whether he's eating or drinking, he is always obsessed with a kodesh baruch and he compares it to a man who's obsessed with a woman. See what he says. Not me. It's what the Rambam says. How do you get to that? Not with this. This is no connection to him at all. This is connection to an immaterial world, to a fake world, to a world that you can turn off, to a world that's evil, to a world that talks bad about people, destroys guys, destroys reputations. Where people can write whatever they want about anyone. Comes Chaim never dreamt that you can write something on Lush and Hara and 10,000 people can read it in a minute. Time magazine, look at last week. What happened to the internet, they wrote. 
became a place of evil. Where people just write whatever they want about anyone. They destroy kids and reputations. There's a man that's walking around. I tried to get him to talk for me. His daughter killed herself because she was cyber-bullied. This non-Jewish guy, he speaks in public schools. You can't get him. He's three years booked out. This is death. This is pain. This is coldness. There's no warmth. Don't dive in from this. There's no kedusha. People are sitting in shul davening from a machine. That's what we became. We might as well just get a prompter. You don't even need that. We'll put a prompter. We'll, we'll print it and you'll read it. You drop it on the floor, you kiss it. Is it a sinner? Do you not take it into the bathroom? I think all of you take it into the bathroom. <laughs> so it has kedusha? Are you allowed to step on it? It has no kedusha. Why are you reading words from a machine that in that same machine is pornography? How dare you wear, read from a, from a Hebrew words from a machine that the same machine is the worst pornography in the world? How dare you bring kedusha from the Tumadika side of the world? But it's not our fault because we got so used to it. We so need it. We're so addicted to it that we can't get away from it. There's no kedusha in this. Hashem didn't create this in the first six days of the world. I was in Alaska. They did a cruise. They're doing a cruise to Panama. Costa Rica, I said I was there already. So they wanted me to come speak. So I, I, I don't like boats. I am so seasick that I don't take baths. I only take showers. I won't even go into a bathtub. I figured I'm going to be, they want me to speak. I'm going to be throwing up the whole time. So, I, I, but Mark Hashem, I wanted to go to Alaska. My wife wanted me to go. I went. And I wasn't seasick, even though people told me, Robert Wallace, don't worry, it's a city. You ever go on a boat? It's a city. They forgot to tell me it's Los Angeles in an earthquake. Right? <laughs> they didn't tell me which city it was. It's a city. So I'm in Alaska. you got to hear this. I'm in Alaska, and three days, you're off the boat, four days, you're on the boat, whatever. They take us to an island in Alaska. I forgot the name of the island. It has a very kick, whatever it's called. And we take this canoe ride with all the guy here, me and my wife, you know, we take this canoe ride. And of course, there's like 15, there's like 15 on each side canoeing, and we're Jewish Jews from Brooklyn. We're just sitting there eating, while everyone else is canoeing. Okay, so we get to the island, and the guy gets up and he says, "I'm a naturalist. I know all about nature. We're going to take you on a tour. We're going to teach you about nature. Listen to this. This is not normal." So we get onto this island, and he says, "The earth on the island is only 12 inches deep, very very shallow." And there's no stone. There's no rocks on the island. It's called a tropical, a, a, a rainforest. Not a tropical rainforest. It's an Alaskan rainforest. Okay, I'm nice. I love nature. And there are bears on the island. You know, they eat the salmon. There are bears. I'm scared of bears. I don't know why, but I don't like bears. I mean, I really don't want to hang out with them, right? So, so we walk up and we see this cave. Because, you know, bears go to sleep for five months, right? They hibernate. So they go into a cave for five months. I know some guys that do that. They're not bears, right? So there's no stone. So Hashem made a cave out of roots of trees that are all twisted to each other and made a cave. And the guy gets up and says, isn't it amazing that Mother Nature, of course they're not going to say Hashem, Mother Nature created caves out of tree roots for the beer to hibernate in. 
And I'm like, you idiot. This is not Mother Nature. This is not Kurdish Boko, but I can't say that. I'm just thinking it. I'm not saying it. Then he says, you know, you see this plant next to the cave? It's a big, fat, leafy plant. He says, this plant, if you eat it, you're not going to be able to go to the bathroom for four months. It is, it causes constipation. And the beer, before he goes to sleep, he eats this plant so that he doesn't have to go to the bathroom while he's sleeping for the five months. And Mother Nature put the plant right next to the cave because Mother Nature knows that he's going to go to sleep. He said, and you think that's something? This plant that's next to that plant, I'm standing there listening to this, and I have pictures of it all, this plant is the opposite. It's a laxative. You eat this plant, you don't stop going to the bathroom. <laughs> so he says, the beer, after four months in the cave, comes out. It had all this garbage in it for five months. It eats the other plant, and it cleans the whole system out. He says, look how Mother Nature takes care of its animals. And then he says, and by the way, we're going to walk through the woods. These two plants you will only see growing next to these caves. Nowhere else on the island. And I walked away from the group. I was my witness. And I sat down and I started crying. I said, Hashem, show them who you are. Enough with this mother nature. I love you. You love someone who's beautiful. You want them to come out there. You want everyone to say, wow. I said, Hashem, it's time for the wow. Instead of the ow. Everyone's walking around. Ow, look what God did to me. Look what God took away from me. Look how God's not answering me. Ow, ow, ow. Nobody's saying wow. How many people died? How many people are sick? How many people went to a hospital to see how many kids were born today? Nobody does that. Nobody goes to Maimonides in Brooklyn, 400 kids a day, being born Jewish kids. Nobody said, wow. No, they go to the funeral and say, ow. Nobody knows all the people that have been healed through medicine, through Hashem, and say, wow. No, we all say, ow, you have the flu. You have another sickness, you're taking that, you have, you have strep, you're taking antibiotics. Ow, I can't go to work today. I have fever, my, my, I can't swallow. Ow. Doctor gives you this little white thing where you don't know anything about it. You pop it in your mouth within 24 hours, it's gone. Hashem created that to kill. You don't say, wow. There's a whole, there's a whole feeling to say after you take medicine. We're all saying, ow. I said, God, it's time to come out. Show me who you are. Show them who you are. I love you. Stop hiding in a forest in Alaska. Show the world who you are. And in my head, I'm hearing Hashem say, they don't really want to know the answer to that. And then on the way out, and I'll finish with this, on the way out, he takes us to this huge tree, three times the thickness of that pillar. And on this huge tree is a huge mushroom. Huge, I never saw a mushroom that size. And he says, that's called beer's bread. He said, that mushroom in two weeks is going to fall off. It's so big, it can't hold on to the tree anymore. It's going to fall off into the ground and die. And I'm like, why would Hashem create a mushroom that grows and then just dies? So the guy says, finishing his speech, he says, it's fascinating, Mother Nature. You see, the earth is only 12 inches thick here. So there's not a lot of minerals. And the trees suck out all the minerals from the, from the ground and they would die. But this mushroom sucks out all the minerals from the tree. And it keeps growing and it keeps growing and it keeps taking these minerals. And after a while it can't hold on anymore and it falls into the ground and it rots and the tree takes back its minerals. It's going on for 500 years. This tree is 500 years old. 
Every year the mushroom grows and feeds the tree, who feeds the mushroom, who feeds the tree, who feeds the mushroom. And I'm standing there and I'm like, and he's mother naturing and he's mother naturing. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> A tree! If you get to know who God is, if you develop that relationship, it's a whole different Rosh Hashanah. And that's the secret that Hashem is telling me. What should you do in the month before, before Rosh Hashanah? Tshuva! Not in the word El. Develop a relationship with me. If you come to court and we have that relationship, you got nothing to worry about. I'll take care of you. You, you took the first step. I'll take care of you. That's what Elul is. And the Rambam says something which I'm not even going to talk that much about. And he says in the paragraph, he said, not always do mitzvahs bring love, but love always brings mitzvahs. And what he's saying is, I know guys who do a lot of mitzvahs, they have no relationship with Hashem. Zero, zero, zero. And people sometimes say, I don't understand. This person, he, does, he's, he, does, he learns and, and, and he steals. This person, he does all the mitzvahs and look what he did behind with another woman. How could that happen? And the answer is that not always do the mitzvahs bring love because if the mitzvah is just done as a subject, it doesn't bring love. Says the Rambam, but if the love comes first, then everything you do, every brook, everything you do is out of love. You, you're married, right? So... Many guys over here take out the garbage. Many guys here make a coffee for their, I hope, make a coffee for their wife, right? Many guys do things for their wife. Does that mean by taking out the garbage you're going to come to love your wife? No. Does that mean by making her a coffee you're going to come to love her because you make a coffee? You could work in a coffee bar and make two million coffees for people and not care about any of them. But if you love your wife, then when you bring her a coffee, it's out of love. If you love your wife, and you have that relationship, then when you take out the garbage, it's out of love. So when the relationship is me'ahava, then everything you do is me'ahava. Says HaKadosh Baruch Hu to all of us, and that's why I came to Lakewood. You got two weeks left. Connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You know that I talk about technology a lot. Trust me, the Goyim are writing about a lot. Hashem didn't create the world for that. Yes, you need that. You need a car to get places. You need an airplane to fly. And you need a phone to do business. But that's not a relationship. That's a cold phone. It has no feelings. It doesn't care if you drop dead. It doesn't care anything that happens to you. It's a phone. It just cares that you charge it. And the Satan who's brilliant, who brought the world of the net, the cell, which are all things that you get caught in, the web. Listen to the words. The web, the net, the cell. And even on the keyboard, it says enter, but there's no enter. Once you go in there, it becomes an addiction. You can't get away from it. And the only way to get out of it is by escaping. They wrote those words. Sure, the apple that's bitten out of the symbol of the Catholics and the Christians in their Bibles of this first sin that was ever done is Chava holding up an apple that's bitten out of. Look closely at what's going on. And now the Satan pulled one. I used to make fun that this is a world. And just like there was Noach's Teva and the world was flooded, if you drop your phone in the toilet, the world is over. It's like the marble. 
No, said the Sutta. No, said Apple. Apple 7, waterproof. Waterproof. Drop it in the river. Drop it in the ocean. It won't destroy it. You've got to give Din V'cheshbon on this Rosh Hashanah. You want to use your mouth. You want, to, you want to tell your kids. You want to spend time with your kids. And spend time with your wife. And spend time with yourself. And sit at the end of your bed. And tell Hashem that you love Him. And wake up in the morning and tell Him. And walk out in Lakewood and just look around and say... It's amazing that you gave us something. The Goyim don't have this. There's no base measures for Goyim. There isn't. They're going to college and sitting in the library. Shh. <laughs> Turn the page. Shh. You're making too much noise with the page. Go upstairs. Fire! They're screaming, they're yelling, they're arguing on love. Him and Achronim. Nobody has a Chafetz Chaim. What do they have? A, a, an Iman that's telling everyone to kill everyone and shoot everyone? Crusades to burn the Jews at the stake? Who has this? A Buddha? Some fat little guy sitting on a rock? <laughs> Who has what we have upstairs? Go upstairs and look and say, Thank you, Hashem. We are not dead. We are suffering, going through things. God, look down. Well, these guys that are sitting and learning. It, it, it's unbelievable what a Jew has. Outside of the sitter, talk to him. Talk to him, Me'ahavah says, says, and if you do that, if you have the right Elul, Ani L'daydi L'daydi Li, then you, you'll definitely have the right Rosh Hashanah. You'll have the Ksiva Ksiva Taiva, and we'll, we'll all be able to recognize and realize the day when Hashem says, that Hashem Echad Ushmo Echad and the whole world will see that. The car I've You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.